0: to be able to address him in prayer, that he ha- hears the prayers of his children. Sometimes maybe we, we take that for granted, um, but we have a father who hears as we go to him in prayer in the secret place. He hears the prayer, prayers of his people. And so we're able to come with confidence, and we don't come in ourselves. We know that. We come in the person of Jesus, who is our intercessor, our mediator, our acceptance before our Father is based upon what Jesus Christ has done for us. And so he teaches us to pray, and he gives us negative examples what not to do, to pray like many of the hypocrites of the day in which Jesus ministered. Um, don't be like them, that like to be seen of men, and they have their reward. Uh, but we are to pray, and we are to come Humbly before him, not by show, but in genuineness of heart and drawn near unto our God. And we have here a pattern that Jesus has given to us for prayer. Um, It is, Jesus says, pray in this manner. Here is a structure, if you will, a skeleton by which we can pray and how we ought to think about prayer. And uh, as we look at this prayer of Jesus... um, it's not a coincidence that there is a certain order to this. It's not just a random order. Uh, we see that there are six petitions that are, uh, are put in this prayer uh, by the Lord Jesus Christ, a pattern for us. And uh, we see the first priority has to do with God, his name, his reign, and his will. And that's what we want to look at tonight um, in verses 9 and 10. And then uh, it's a call for us uh, to uh, pray for these things. Uh, These should be things that are pressing upon our hearts, that these are our priority in our prayer. First of all and foremost, the name of God and these things that are mentioned here. And then secondly, it comes to our own physical needs and spiritual needs, our bread, our debts, and our making spiritual progress. And again, this is, I think, an important um, priority as we think of prayer. Matthew Henry said prayer or uh, I think it was Matthew Henry or John MacArthur said prayer is to lift up the soul to honor and glorify God, not to bend God down to my agenda. So in prayer, we are seeking to glorify God and, that is our primary concern. So tonight we want to talk about uh, what it is that we are to be praying for. And the first petition that is given is in verse 9. In this manner, Jesus says, pray this way. Our Father in heaven, this is an address that is given to him. And here is the petition. Hallowed be thy name. Now, This is not a part of the address, our Father who is in heaven, whose name is hallowed. But really, it is actually, it is a petition. This is what we are praying for. Um, Let your name be hallowed. Um, In the Westminster Catechism and also in the London Baptist Confession, the same basic wording, it would ask the question, what do we pray for in the first petition in the Lord's Prayer? And the answer is, in the first petition, which is, hallowed be thy name, we pray that God would enable us and others to glorify him in all that whereby he makes himself known and that he would dispose all things to his own glory. He's not saying your name is hallowed, it is hallowed, but we pray and our desire is that your name would be hallowed. So it is a petition. And the petition is that his name would be hallowed. Now, a name in the Bible is usually descriptive of a person. So what does the word Emmanuel mean? God with us. What does the name Jesus mean? He's a savior. He is a deliverer. So a name in biblical terms usually is describing something about the person. We saw Zechariah's name, which means the Lord remembers. Um, And so a name can often reflect something about the person. It reveals something about God himself. What are some of the other names that we have in Scripture as we think about God? Jehovah Jireh, Jire, is, he is my provider. Any, think of any others? Yahweh. Yahweh, okay. It's a covenant name that is used of God, the I am that I am, that he is the ever-living, eternal, self-existent God. That's how he revealed himself to Moses. Um, we have, uh, he is the Lord of hosts. He is our righteousness. He is um, El Elohim, the mighty one, El Shaddai, the almighty, Um, and then Jehovah Jireh, as we mentioned. Um, So these and other names are describing something to us of the very character of God. And so as he prays, as he teaches us to pray, we want this name to be hallowed. Um, the word hallowed comes from a, a number of different Greek words that all have the basic idea of something that is set apart. So we have words like sanctified, sanctification, hallowed, um, we think of a sanctuary, something set apart where we worship. Um, and so this group of words has this idea of set apart. The word holy is that God is set apart. And so here's this idea that his name is to be hallowed, it is to be set apart, it is to be revered. Um, you think of in the Old Testament, there were many things that are referred to as holy, holy of holies, the holy place. Um, these things were set apart from common use, and they are set apart unto God, and uh so, so it is with the name of God that it is to be hallowed. It's not to make God's name to be hallowed because it is—it already is. We we can't make God's we can't make him more hallowed, more set apart. But in our lives and in, in our thinking, that we want him, his holiness, uh, in our lives. We want him to be hallowed. We want him to be treated. His name to be treated as such, that he's esteemed, that the we feel the weightiness of what the name of God is, the character of God. Too often we, we can have very light views of God by the way either we think of him or by the way we live. We, we don't really treat him as being the holy being that he is. And this, I think, is what Jesus is saying. We pray, Lord, that your name would be hallowed. What's the third commandment say? You're not to what? Take the Lord's name in vain. You shall not take the name of the Lord, your God, in vain. Now, a lot of people think, well, you don't, you don't use God's name as a swear word or in, in that way. And that's true. And um, we, we should never take God's name in that way. It's amazing that's what people do when they get really mad, something to go the way they curse and use God's name in a vain and and empty way. And we're not to do that, but it's more than that. Um, It is to take it in a contemptible way or a trivial way where there is no esteem for the name of God. Sometimes you will hear people talk about God in ways like the big guy upstairs or or something like that. that. That to me is... Trivializing the name and the person of God. Leviticus ten three says, For those by those who come near to me, I must be treated as holy, or I should be treated as hallowed, and before all the people I must be glorified. You know what the context was for that statement? It was spoken by Moses to, to Aaron about his sons when they offered up strange fire on the altar. And Moses says, this is what God said by those who come near to me. He saw his sons. I mean, they, they were struck dead. Fire came out from the presence of the Lord, and, and they were killed. And, and the Lord was teaching us there that he is not to be trivialized. Um, he's to be treated as holy before all the people, especially those who represent him. And so here's the petition, and as we think about this, applying this, um, we are praying that the name of the Lord would be hallowed in this world, that we want his name to be even hallowed in the culture in which we live. Let the name of God be known and revered. Let his fame go out into the world. We want his name then also to be revered in his church. Again, often it is not. Um, Let his name be hallowed among his people. And then there's, I think, an eschatological sense in which we want the name of God to be hallowed. And we look forward to a day when, as we find in many places, in the Old Testament especially, Lord, let the earth be filled with your glory as the waters cover the seas. We want the world to one day be filled with the, the knowledge of God and his name hallowed in a world uh, that has been made new. That's our great hope, isn't it? That we are looking forward to that day uh, when he will reign as king and he will be hallowed by a new humanity that has been raised up by the Lord Jesus Christ. And so. We say, even so come, Lord Jesus, we desire that, we desire that day. And so um, this really does pertain to us that we want his name to be hallowed in the culture in ways if we can promote that in the church, but also in the end, but also in our own personal lives. This ought to be a prayer and a desire that we have for ourselves that in my life, Lord, that you would be hallowed. Lord, that you would enable me and others to glorify you by my life and how I live. Make me to be one who fears you, who who lives with the fear of God, being God-fearing people. It's a term that's often used of God's people there, to be God-fearing people. There is a reverence that they have for God that is reflected in how they think and how they live, the words that they speak. There's a reverence for God and all that he is and all that he does. Think of Job when his wife told him, why don't you just curse God and die? (laughs) Just curse God and die. Job couldn't do that. The Lord gave and the Lord has taken away and Blessed be the name of the Lord, and, and he worshiped the Lord. And so in our lives, we are wanting God to be lifted up and his name to be hallowed by how we live and how we talk with one another. David says this in Psalm 34:3. Oh, magnify the Lord with me, and let us exalt his name together. Here's, here's a desire of the people of God. Let us together exalt and lift up the name of the Lord our God. And so even by our conduct, even the most mundane things of life, eating and drinking. So what does Paul say about how we eat or drink? What are we to do? Whether you eat or drink, do all to the glory of God. Again, even in some of the most simple basic things of life, the mundane activities of life, God can be revered there and we can live in God-honoring ways. Um, Matthew 5.14, just back a page there, is Jesus says, you are the light of the world, a city that's set up on a hill. And then verse 16, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. Live in such a way that It gives glory. It points people to your God, who he is, and his glory. And even in the face of trials and hardships and difficulties, even there to revere the name of God, we think of Jesus. In the context of the cross, as he is headed to the cross, he said, now my soul is troubled. And his soul was troubled going to the cross. He wasn't passive and lacking any kind of emotion as he went to the cross. This was a horrendous thing to think about being made sin for us and bearing the wrath of his father in our place. In his humanity, he felt this. And he said, now my soul is troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. But for this purpose, I came to this hour glorify your name even now Lord maybe in trials and difficulties adversity Lord I want I want your name to be hallowed I I want to live in a way that will be like Christ that your name would be glorified and how vitally important that is what is the chief end of man It is to enjoy God and to glorify God and enjoy him forever thank you And uh, I had my 50th anniversary last night, so (laughs) anniversary wasn't an anniversary, my reunion. So still trying to get over that one. But uh, so that is the chief end of man, that God would be hallowed in our lives and that he would be glorified by the way in which we live. And may God help us and enable us that we may so live. Matthew Henry said the end of. All our petitions is that God may be glorified. All our other requests must be in subordination to this and in pursuance of it. This is at the top. We want God to be glorified in our life. That is the most important thing. So that leads then into the second petition, which is God's kingdom come. God's kingdom come. Again, now the question is asked, what do you pray for in the second petition in the Lord's Prayer? In the second petition, which is, thy kingdom come, we pray that Satan's kingdom may be destroyed and that the kingdom of grace may be advanced, that ourselves and others brought into it and kept in it, and that the kingdom of glory may be hastened. As we look at this petition, we recognize that we understand that God is the sovereign king over his universe. We read just tonight in Psalm 103, the last verse, the Lord has established his throne in heaven and his kingdom rules over all. Daniel 4 34 tells us, um, Daniel says there, or excuse me, Nebuchadnezzar says, Uh, The most high rules in the kingdoms of men. So God is sovereign over, over the universe. But here I think in view is what we might call the kingdom of grace, the kingdom of God, the kingdom of Christ. And it's his reign and rule over the hearts of men, men who have been saved by the grace of God. And so as Jesus began to go about in his earthly ministry, he went out and said, Repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. He went to preach the good news of the gospel. That was the message also of John the Baptist, that the kingdom of God is broken into this world. The king is here. The kingdom is broken into our world. And uh, Jesus said in Luke 11, if I cast out demons by the finger of God, surely the kingdom of God has come upon you. The king's here. His power is being demonstrated and so it is here colossians 1:13 says it has translated us out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of his own dear beloved son that's the grace of god the mercy of god to us so as we think about that kingdom there's another kingdom the kingdom of darkness there are two unseen kingdoms in this world the kingdom of darkness the kingdom of satan And then there is the kingdom of Christ or the kingdom of heaven. And uh, so there's darkness, the kingdom of darkness, the kingdom of light, the kingdom of this world, the kingdom that is of heaven, the kingdom of righteousness, and the kingdom of evil. Um, John 8, Jesus says to the Pharisees, you are of your father, the devil. You belong to a different kingdom. You think you're in the kingdom of God, but you belong to a different kingdom. And so for those who are in the kingdom of Christ by God's grace, Romans 14, 17 says this, for the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. So in the promised king, this kingdom of God's rule in the hearts of men has come with the coming of Jesus. Now we understand there's the already and the not yet. The king has come and the kingdom has invaded this world and yet, we are yet looking for more. He's coming again. And so that's a part, I think, of this prayer. We want the king, this kingdom to be advanced. And uh, as we think about the advancement of this kingdom, we think of evangelism, we think of missions, we think of Daniel and Barbara going to Kenya to advance the gospel there as they use the gifts that God has given to them. We want to see... Uh, Others by God's grace brought into the kingdom of the Lord Jesus Christ, even as we have, and that should be part of our prayer. Thy kingdom come, and we have a, a part in that. Paul says it's in Acts twenty-eight, twenty-three. He was under house arrest, and it says he went. Um, he went about. He's giving his testimony. He had gone about preaching the kingdom. And so when they had appointed him a day, many came to him at his lodging, to whom he explained, and he solemnly testified of the kingdom of God, persuading them concerning Jesus from both the law of Moses and the prophets from morning till evening. So this was part of what pre- Paul preached about, this kingdom of God, and um, calling men to flee to Christ um, Jesus often depicted the kingdom of Christ, or the kingdom of heaven, as being like a little mustard seed. It's just small, very seemingly insignificant little seed. But when that seed is full grown, it, it's a huge, as far as a garden herb, it's one of the biggest, if not the biggest. And it is there that the birds of the air come and find rest. and the kingdom of God's like that. It may seem small and insignificant talked about that this morning. Don't despise the day of small things. You think about the people that Jesus called to be his disciples. He's going to begin a a worldwide enterprise to build his church worldwide. And what kind of people does he call? Fishermen, tax collectors, a zealot. These weren't the guys you might think this thing's not getting off the ground. This ain't going to go nowhere. Don't despise the day of small things. And so this kingdom is going to seem to start out small, but it will become something that will be big, and there will be those that find rest there in that tree. And there are other parables that are like that. Um, Martin Lloyd-Jones says, When we pray, Thy kingdom come, we are praying for the conversion of men and women. We are praying that the kingdom of God may come today in Britain, in Europe, in America, in Australia, Everywhere in the world, the kingdom come is an all-inclusive missionary prayer. So it is an advancement of this kingdom that we are praying for. But we also, again, are praying that it, it would be consummated, that it would be brought in in its fullness, that as Jesus' sheep are gathered to him, that that he himself will come and there will be this final consummation. And so there's a sense in which this kingdom, we look forward to it, Paul, writing to the Corinthians, he said this, Do you not know that the upright will not inherit the kingdom of God? So there is a future tense here. There is a kingdom of God that is to be inherited. It's not here yet, but those who live in these ungodly ways and who do not know God will not inherit the kingdom of God. He goes on to say, be not deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, or adulterers, nor homosexuals, nor sodomites, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners will inherit the kingdom of God. And then he says this, such were some of you, but you were washed, but you were sanctified, but you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Friday night, as our men met together, we were able to hear the testimony of Kevin Brock. And what a blessing that was to hear of God's power, transforming grace in his life. And uh, it was a blessing, real encouragement, refreshing to see what God has done in his life and the changes. And so it was with these in Corinth. This is the way some of you were, but God, but you've been washed, you've been sanctified and justified and there is this anticipation of the kingdom of God that is to come. Jesus says in Matthew 25, 34, the king will say to those on his right hand, Come, you blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom that is prepared for you from before the foundation of the world. Come and enjoy this kingdom that God has prepared for you. And then we see the petition as we think about this uh, applied just personally Connected to to the first one. May the rule of God be uh, true in my heart, in my life. May God break my pride, my idolatry, my wanting my own way. And as we often sing in the hymn, that we would find joy in sitting at the feet, uh, sit, sitting in willing bonds beneath his feet. I've always loved that line in that hymn sitting in willing bonds at his feet, at the feet of Jesus. And uh, so we desire that, and we should be a part of missions and evangelism. And this is a part of, I think, of praying for this petition to be fulfilled. And then thirdly, we see God's will done on earth as it is in heaven Again, the Westminster Catechism asks, what do we pray for in the third petition in the Lord's Prayer? In the third petition, which is, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We pray that God, by his grace, would make us able and willing to know, obey, and submit to his rule in all things as the angels do in heaven. And again, there seems to be a logical uh, uh, conclusion to these things—they seem to follow in a logical uh, pattern here. And so, here's this prayer: "Your will be done, even as it is in heaven." As we think of this will of God, it's not His of will; He is working all things after the counsel of His own will, those things that He's foreordained before the world began. But here, it's, I think it's His moral will—what He has revealed for us and how we are to live. Lord, may your will be done again first and foremost in our own lives. Your will be done, not mine. So to obey and to uh, be submissive unto God, even as it is done in heaven, as the will of God is done in heaven. When we think about the angels and those who sit around the throne of God, there are many passages that show us that they are, they are the servants of the Lord to go forth to do his will perfectly. Um, they, are, they are not fallen angels. They are uh, those that serve him day and night. And so his will is done. And so we pray that uh, as well. Lord, Your will be done here on earth even as it is in heaven. So again, I think it begins with our own life. May that be true of me. In my own life, my private life, my workplace, my community, your will be done. We pray that for our church. Lord, make us to be a people like this. And we are also, I think, praying for this. Lord, may this be one day the reality. Uh, A new heavens, a new new earth where there is a new humanity and your will is done perfectly. And by God's grace, that will be the case when Christ comes, we will have a new heart. We'll no longer be prone to wonder, to go our own way, to disobey our God. We will have a cleansed, perfect, perfected heart, and we will love the Lord our God with all of our heart and soul and strength and mind. We'll no longer struggle against sin. I don't know about you, but I look forward to that day. I look forward to that day when we will no longer struggle with sin in our lives. And so may God help us that we may pray in these ways and desire above all that his name would be glorified, his name honored. And then, uh, not next week, and then I'll be gone the next week, so in three weeks we'll be looking at the rest of this prayer. So let's stand and we'll be dismissed with a word of prayer.